Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, this is kind of fun, hey? Did you think this is what you're going to walk into? Man, this is, this is fun. I figured we, why not squeeze one more campfire, one more of these kind of classic summer experiences together in the summer. How many of you have had the chance this summer to take in uh, a campfire of some sort? Maybe, maybe camping, maybe in your backyard. Probably, I'm going to imagine most of the hands go up. I can hardly see you. But that's part of the fun of camping, right? My name's Andrew Friesen. I'm the family pastor here at Pathway. And uh, my family, we were just up at Silent Lake two nights ago. We stayed one night. And uh, there's nothing like it. Just being, you sit in your camp chair, relaxing. There's no, there's no agenda. You know, you got the, the ones you love gathered around you. And uh, maybe you've got, got your cozy track pants on. You've got a hot chocolate, maybe coffee in your hand. You've got smoke billowing in your eyes. All right? It's just... It's just one of the, there's there's nothing like it. It's that quintessential Canadian experience, and uh, and this time up at Silent Lake is just so relaxing. Unlike unlike the time before that, where we were up in this walk-in site. I don't know if you've ever been to Silent Lake, but there's some sites that you have to lug all of your stuff in. And for whatever reason, my wife and I we thought it was a great idea. Hey, let's let's get away. Meanwhile, we've got two at this point, or at this point, we had two kids. And we're lugging all of our stuff in, little to know that that was the raccoon hideout. (laughs) We stepped right into that trap. And if you know my wife, she seethes with anger when she sees a raccoon. So it was just this perfect storm. We're sitting around this fire. And uh, and it felt like we were just surrounded just on every side, everywhere you turn, you'd, you'd, hear, you'd hear like little scurrying and scuffling and their little rascals. Probably half of them were squirrels, but she didn't know that. And she thought they were coming after her, going to eat her alive. And, uh, and, and we sneak off after a while, go head, head to bed, and it's like we're trying to like avoid the raccoons as we're going, and we shine the light back, and, and sure enough, we see a rac- raccoon there as, as we go in the tent. And it's heading off with an entire bag, what a tragedy, of fuzzy peaches. <laughs> like, how could this get any worse, right? And uh, so that's what Silent Lake has been. And actually, no, I should add to that story because as, as she's about to fall asleep in the tent, me being just the guy that I am, I'm like, hey, I got to have a little bit more fun with this. So... Um, so she's, she's almost asleep, and then, you know, we're he- still hearing some scurrying off and around, and I'm just like, I've got some decently long fingernails at this time, and I just scratch in the bottom of the tent right beside her. And she almost clocked me. Oh, man. I, d- I don't regret that moment, but it was a lot of fun. <gasps> this time it sounded like it was a little bit different. It was, the, it was one of those just, okay, we can actually relax. School's coming. Let's get one last time around a fire together. And uh, we've, got a, we've got a fire in our back here, but there's something different about being away camping, kind of like this. So we tried to replicate that this morning. But there's something, like Nate said, about sitting around a fire around the people that you love, 
the people that you're doing life with, you know, that circle, and maybe it's your immediate family, that circle of, of like closest connection, of safety, of comfort, of, you know, these are your people. These are the people that you want to do life with. For me, it is my five-year-old and three-year-old and, and now one-year-old and my wife. And, uh, and just sitting around, it's, it's like you can truly be yourself. There's no, there's no agenda. There's no rush in a world of, of um, instant gratification, in a world of virtual connection. Being around a campfire just forces you to be so meaningfully face-to-face, doesn't it? There's no, no rush. Just be yourself. And you be with the ones that you love. And it's family service today. And we're kind of celebrating the role of family in our lives and what we can be in our families and as the family of God. And I think about this idea of the campfire. And I want you to just imagine for a second with me, sitting around a campfire with the ones that you love the most. And maybe for some of you, um, your family, your immediate family is not that. All right, I recognize that some of us come from, from bo- broken homes where it's not exactly the people that we want to spend time with. But maybe for some of you, it's, it's uh, close friends. People, you know, f- friends from school or, or friends from work that you've just, maybe your families are headed in the same direction or you just get along, you think alike, you share the same interests, you're just doing life around each other and you just love that time in a circle with them. If you can picture this fire with, with like five, six, maybe up to ten chairs around it, and you're sitting face to p- face with the people that you love. That's what I want to just call a circle of security. All right, that's your home base. That's, that's, that's the people that you love. And we all have that. It looks different. But what can happen over time is that that circle morphs in its purpose. It started out as this circle of, of connection and love and, and closeness, and it becomes a circle of segregation. You're sitting in that circle, and, and those are your people, and your chairs, almost, if you want to run with that analogy, that image, your chairs are so tight to each other that no one else can join that circle. You've become your own clique. You've become this exclusive club. And we all do this, whether, whether you're Christian here today or non-Christian, whether you're young, old, no matter what place of life you come from, this is the natural human tendency for those circles of, of um, connection to become circles of segregation. And um, what I want to do this morning is use that, that metaphor of a circle around this campfire to share with you a truth that affects every single one of us in the room. And because it is family service, I want to focus in on a specific group, and that's the kids and teens of our church and of this city. Because what can happen over time is that that circle, like I said, becomes a circle of segregation, and and church is not immune to that. Church can be one of those places where even though as the family of God we experience the love of God and the connection and the fellowship and just it's almost like we're brothers and sisters because that is what we are. Those who follow Christ, that is what we are. But it can become this club that no one's allowed in. All right? we, don't, we don't actually open the doors. We don't like, we don't let someone in. Have you ever tried to nudge into a circle like that that just felt like this exclusive gl- club? 
All right, maybe, maybe you started a new job or you're at a new school and you've been that person on the outside and it's like you, you've got your camp chair and you're like, okay, how do I, how do I get into this circle without, without people being like, who's that? Like, what's his deal? You're trying to nudge your way in and, and no one's looking your way. They're just kind of naive to it or maybe they're just, they don't care. They're apathetic about it. It's just, hey, we've got our people. You're not allowed in. And they wouldn't say that, but that's what you feel. Have you ever felt that? How about if you've ever been on the inside? Let's flip that around. You've been one of those people that you've got such a tight-knit group of friends. And we all have this. Whether it's friends or family or just people that... And some of it's like two or three people in our life. That's our circle. For some of us, we're like, hey, the more friends, the better, the wider circle. Let's have hundreds of people, thousands of Facebook friends. Like, we just want followers. You know, that's our circle. But you've been maybe in one of those smaller circles, and you've said to yourself, or maybe just thought to yourself, there's enough people here. You know, we don't need anyone else. We don't need anyone else to be a part of this. Maybe you've been in, in those shoes too. And this morning, like I said, because of family service and because of my role here, I care deeply about the teens and the kids of Pathway and of this city. And I want to share and just apply that concept to something that God wants to say about this this morning. Man, because I don't know if you know it or not, but there's a lot of kids and teens in Peterborough. Last I checked um, on StatsCan, there's about 20,000 kids and, and teens from 0 to 19 in Peterborough and the surrounding area. All right, so 20,000, which is kind of like an insane number. That's a lot, right? And I, w- I want you to just imagine with me how many of those kids and teens, just think about it for a second, how many of those Christian kids or teens are in regular Christian community? Whether that's a kids program or whether that's church or youth program or youth unlimited or or one of the camps or anything. You know, it just, if you add it all up, how many kids and teens are there in Pedro that are part of a regular Christian community? And based on the conversations that I've had with youth pastors and other Christian leaders in the city, I can tell you that it's, it's painfully low. I mean, if you're talking percents, we're talking max 10%. Probably realistically closer to 5%. So if you run those numbers of the 20,000, just imagine maybe a thousand, a thousand kids and teens in our city that, have ex- that are currently experiencing the love of Jesus, the hope that he brings, the peace, the, the, the character that comes with that, this Holy Spirit living inside of them. They're, that's just, you know, in Christian community, not even all of those are following Jesus. The, the numbers are so small and outside of that circle of maybe a thousand, there's 19,000 kids and teens that don't know Jesus. They're on the outside of this circle. And that's what breaks my heart. In January, when, when as a church we did the series about resolution, and there was that, the message on what breaks your heart. That right there is what breaks my heart. And that's why I made the shift from full-time carpentry and tile to full-time ministry. Because over the last four years, this problem hasn't gone away. If anything, it's gotten worse. And it just tugs at me, and I have to do something about it. 
Because these teens need Jesus. These kids need Jesus. That's why I went full-time. Well, that and I love hanging out with Nate and Todd. I didn't realize that we'd be sharing an office that small. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, yeah, you should, you should come by our office sometime. It's, it's a lot of fun, but we are packed in. <laughs> but it broke my heart, and it breaks my heart every single day to see the kids and teens outside of that circle of love. And I think... That as a church, this should matter deeply to us. It does matter to us as parents. It matters to me. It matters to, you know, to the leaders, to the people that are a part of us. But it should matter to every single one of us. Because I think it matters to Jesus. And the reason that I know that it matters to Jesus was because his whole life was him seeing a circle that was exclusive. A circle of, of people that, that um, because of their religious views, they, they nudge their chairs as close to the circle as possible to keep that circle as small as possible. It became this exclusive club. And he saw what was happening. And, and one of the groups was the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. And he saw that and he said, this can't be. And he chose willingly to go a different route. In the way that he did ministry, the way that he did life. He chose the outsiders. And one time, that inside group was taking issue with him because of the way that he was living, the way that, that he was doing ministry. And so, so he, and I'm going to share the story from Luke 15 in a second, but he had to do something about it. And so, and, and so it goes in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They loved what he had to say. They wanted to be around him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. These are the insiders, the people around the fire, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What's he doing on the outside? He should be in here with us. You know, if he was actually religious, he'd be here with us. So he told them this parable. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What he's saying is if there was a circle of 100 chairs, this is what Jesus is saying, if there's a circle of 100 chairs filled with anyone in Peterborough, maybe let's just stick with kids and teens, and 99 of those chairs were filled, it was this, man, there's so many people around the circle, this is awesome, we get 99%, what would Jesus be thinking about? Hey, there's one. There's one that's still not here. I'm going to go after them. And his personal life statement was, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus was all about. And that's why that song that we sang about the reckless love of God was just so fitting because that's at the core of who God is. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Have you ever experienced 
the reckless love of God in your life? For me, there's been lots of different moments, but the moment that stands out most in my life was when I was 12 years old. It was a Good Friday service when I was 12, and I had grown up in a Christian home, and uh, my mom's actually here uh, this morning, which is kind of fun, because uh, she lives 20 hours away, and, uh, and she took the drive down just to hear me speak here. No, she, <laughs> definitely not, definitely not. Um, I grew up in that Christian home, and, and, you know, every single night we'd get down by the bed, and we'd pray together, and we'd read the Bible, and, you know, I was a good kid. I, uh, I listened for the most part. She might tell you otherwise. Don't believe her. Um, but for me, I just always felt like I had to earn God's grace, that every time I messed up, every time I sinned, there was things in my life that didn't add up to what God had for me. I just felt this guilt, this overwhelming sense of God can never love me. And in a Good Friday service, the message was all about a God that would be willing to go to the cross to die for my sin and give me new life. And that hit me in a new way, and I've never been the same. I was touched by that reckless love of God, and, and it wasn't necessarily in the service. It was actually afterwards. There was this, this lunch, and so picture a small-town country church. You know how, how churches sometimes have that musty smell? All right, that musty smell. Okay, that's exact. You're, you're smelling the exact smell. Okay, the uh, the carpet that should have been replaced 20 years ago, going down in the basement, and I, I tucked myself away. I actually went in the bathroom, and it was in the bathroom of a small town country church that I experienced the saving love of Jesus, and I've never been the same. And I walked out of that bathroom 20 pounds lighter. And it's not because of what you might be thinking. It's because... It's because... Of the reckless love of God. That chases. That chases. And maybe you've experienced that already. If you haven't, and you're here this morning, I hope that you do. Because it transforms life. And I want that for every single one of the kids and teens in Peterborough. And it fires me up when I get to see God's love at work in, in kids and teens. And, and really, I, I, I love seeing it in every single one of you. And I could share so many stories of seeing it happen. I'll just share a few about, about kids, you know, singing their hearts out in the back. I don't know how many of you had the chance to go to the orange room where we do kids worship. You know, you got kids dancing, you got kids singing, giving high fives. They're in love with God. When I get to walk by the hall and I hear them praying, just these six-year-olds, eight-year-olds praying, that personal relationship with Jesus, when I hear them memorizing verses, and if they just let that verse sink in, that verse would have the power to save their marriage one day. Man. And in my role as, as leader of our junior high and senior high youth groups, you know, it fires me up when I see... A teen there for the very first time. They've never come to church before. And they were invited by a friend on a hockey team. And uh, that family's never been to church. They show up on a Friday night. And, and their son, you know, he's sitting, hearing, hearing a message. Maybe it's um, an alpha video film series. And he's hearing about the love of God. And how the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. And then they break off into a small group discussion. And he says to the, the leader, I want that in my life. And they pray together. 
And he wants the Holy Spirit, and he has the Holy Spirit living inside him for the very first time. That fires me up. And when I see at, at a youth retreat or a, on a teen missions trip when, when teens are wrecked and they're broken down in tears because it's hit them in a new way. Man, that's why I do what I do. I love it. And as a church, the kids and teens of Peterborough, you know this, they matter. And, and God has this reckless love of God. And I think about this and I think about this story Jesus tells and what I realize is that it's not just that this is true, people need Jesus. It's more than that. It requires action. If we just leave it as the thought of, yeah, everyone needs Jesus, it's just a good intention. But it requires action. And that's why, probably in the back of Jesus' mind, he's thinking about the action of this shepherd. Because he's thinking about the history of his people. He grew up as a, as, a, as a Jewish boy. You guys know Jesus was Jewish, right? He's not, he's not white. All right? He's, he's Jewish. And he would have sat in a synagogue where he would have heard teaching and uh, stories from the Old Testament, from the Bible, about how God walked with the people of Israel. And there, in the back of his mind, as he tells this story about the lost sheep, he probably would have had a story from Ezekiel in his mind. And... And if you have your Bible, in Ezekiel 34, there's a story told. And I, and I just want to, well, it's kind of a story. There's a massive amount of backstory to it. But I'm just going to sum it up this way. That, that the leaders that should have been guiding the people of Israel towards God to become this, this loving, connected family, they had abandoned their role. They weren't leading. They weren't shepherding. They weren't guiding. They weren't healing. They weren't doing all these things. And God sees this happening and he says, Ezekiel, you're going to be my messenger. You're going to go to these people and share the news of how this is not okay. This has to change. And so, and so Ezekiel tells the people of Israel this story, these words. He says, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. This is in Ezekiel 34 verse 4. The sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. He's like, will no one do their job here? You have, you have a role, you have a place, it can't just be good intentions, you have to act. This requires action. And so what what God says through Ezekiel is say this to the people. Say this. And it's found in verse 15. I myself, it's God talking, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and will strengthen the weak and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will free them in justice. I'll do your job. If you're not going to do it, I'm going to share the love of who I am with them. And 600 years after Ezekiel shares this to the people of Israel, into history, out of heaven, steps Jesus. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to fill this promise that I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will come after the lost. Jesus steps into human history and he performs miracles. He's got amazing teaching, but his life mission... 
As he described it himself, is to seek and save the lost. And he was willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that mission. He's willing to do whatever it takes, even to the point of going and dying for us, taking our sins upon himself at the cross, and then rising again, like Nathan said earlier, three days later, and offering back to every single one of us this offer of hope and redemption and freedom and life. He's willing to do whatever it takes. He wasn't content with just this circle of security that becomes a circle of segregation. He said, I want every single one to the last person to be part of my family. And that blows me away. So what would Jesus do about the 19,000 that are in Peterborough? 19,000 kids and teens that don't know Jesus, that need Jesus. He would do whatever it takes. When I was, when I was 10, my family went on a, on a road trip. We, uh, we lived in, in the farthest part of Ontario next to Manitoba, and we drove across the prairies. I don't know if you've ever drove across the prairies, but you think the 115 is boring? All right, that, you should see the prairies. And we headed up to, uh, to northern Alberta. My, my parents had some friends from, from Bible college that lived in northern Alberta, and we met up with them. They had some young kids. There was, at this time, I was probably, like I said, 10 years old, and I've, you know, I've got three other brothers and sisters. And we, as, a, as the two families, went up to Northwest Territories. And if you... Oh, just by the way, like, if you think the world is overpopulated, you should go to the Northwest Territories. <laughs> but being up there, we were, we were alongside the Hay River. And uh, there's this beautiful, rushing river down in, in a gorge. And, uh, and there's some, some falls, Alexander Falls and Louise Falls, and probably 100 foot... Drop And there's these trails that we explored throughout the day on bikes and by foot and little paths that go down to, to the edge. And it's not, like, it's not like Niagara Falls or some other place where there's just this massive barricade of where you can walk and where you can't walk. It's just, don't walk off the edge, right? It's just, uh, it's just check it out for yourself and, uh, and explore the beauty of what it is. And we, we had an amazing time, took in all the beauty, and we got back to the parking lot at the end of the day. And we're standing around as two families. And we look around and notice that the six-year-old of the other people's family wasn't with us. And that's a terrifying moment. I hope you've never been in that place of a lost child. If you have, you know exactly what the emotions that go through. And from that point on, nothing else mattered except finding this kid. It was, it was all hands on deck, whatever it takes, no matter the cost, everyone has a job. And for me being 10 years old, it was like, okay, what do I do? Well, okay, you just stay here with your brothers and sisters and just stay put. Don't go anywhere. Make sure no one, get, no one else gets lost. Okay, you take this trail. You go down that way. You drive around to the other end of the trail. We're going to find this kid, whatever it takes. doesn't matter what else was a part of the day on the agenda. You had a mission. You had a job to do. And it was just like, okay, all right, this is... This is What's at stake? Every kid matters. This kid mattered. And it was all out to find him. And, and by God's grace, we found him. And he was perfectly safe. But I never want to be in that place again. And yet, that's what we have in Peterborough. We have lost kids. I mean, if there was, if there was a physical kid missing in Peterborough, if it was an abduction, 
there'd be an amber alert that goes out right there there would be notifications on your phone on tv on radio all over the place it would be all hands on deck whatever it takes everyone has a job to find this child and yet in peterborough what do we do with the spiritually lost kids and teens and do we treat that differently and it's not just one teen it's over 19,000 man this does just break my heart and um, I guess what I want to finish off as we just kind of head off in direction of, okay, what do we do with this? Is it's just kind of go through, okay, what, what can we do? If this does matter, what can we do? And I just want to go through those ideas of, of all hands on deck. We've got to raise the urgency level of what's happening. And this is probably a bit of a bit of a downer service as far as what you were coming to expect from the fun to, uh, whoa, he hit me with a brick on the side of the face. But I know that your heart is in the same place. And in the end, we want to experience the joy, like Luke 15 talks about, the joy of a rescued child. Even one. Man, if out of, if out of this message comes one saved teen or kid, man, fires me up. It's all hands on deck. But, but what happens over time is we can, we can become numb, right? We can become numb to, to two things. We can become numb to God's grace and saving us. Maybe you're in that boat. For me, over the last maybe six months, um, I've felt like there's kind of a dryness in my soul. And it's kind of just, you know, a cold faithfulness. Nothing was changing my faith. I'm not going anywhere. This is exactly where I want to be. But you just kind of, you just kind of go through the motions. And things don't hit you the way that they should. And over the last three months, my heart has just been stirred by the reality of this kind of thing. And the amazing, amazing love of God for me. Just for me. And for everyone else. And, and I've grown from, from this, like, almost, I'll call it numbness, to a place of passion. And maybe you're in that same place that over time you've just, your heart's grown, grown numb to, to either the love of God or maybe you've become numb to the needs of the people around you. Whether it's kids or teens or just the people around you, you're in that circle that's become a circle of segregation and all you care about is, is either just those people in the circle or not even them, just, just yourself. And your focus is on yourself. When really what's going on is among the kids and teens of Peterborough, I mean, you've got the prevalence of so many different things that are just kind of, they, they wear away at you. Whether that's entitlement, whether that's sexual addiction, substance abuse, um, mental health epidemics, like the list just kind of goes on of the things that are sitting in the back of the scenes that are going on. And we can, we can become numb to it. But it is all hands on deck. The urgency level is high. We need this mentality of chasing after not just the people that we have, not just a circle where we can love and care and, and shepherd the people that are already here. And, and we think of the 170 plus kids and teens that, that call Pathway Home. Not just those, even though we will disciple them, we will care for them, we will do these things. What about the outsiders? What about everyone else? All hands on deck. And then there's just this whatever it takes mentality. And it's going to take, in order to reach 19,000 people, it's going to take plus. I'm just talking about kids and teens, right? It's going to take creativity at a level that we haven't been at. It's going to take our hearts being stirred to pray, 
to, to, to gather with, with other Christians. And, and I'm seeing this happen. I mean, there's one, one fellow and probably more in our church that he gathers a group together every single week or every, every two weeks. I'm not, I can't remember what it is. And they go around and they just pray. Sometimes outside of schools. Sometimes they just gather in, in homes and they pray for the teens and the youth of Peterborough. It's going to take prayer like that. It's going to take parents taking advantage of opportunities at the arena or, uh, or a dance class or just where you're running into people. Just inviting them into your life, into, into family, into this church, into everything that God has for them. And it's going to take courage, right? That's what it's going to take. It's not just standing by and, and, and going through the motions of life. It's going to take everything. It's going to take a miracle. That's what it's going to take. It seems like this impossibly big task, and it is impossible. It's going to take a miracle, and that's why we need God. This is not something we're going to try and do on our own strength. But even though it's on God's strength, we do have a part. Man, and that's why I think about that idea of everyone has a job. When I was that 10-year-old and there was a lost, lost boy, it wasn't just carry on with life. Tell some jokes. It was like, okay, there's, there's some seriousness to this moment. And I, even though I'm 10 years old, I have a job. That's why I love seeing, I mean, there's 30 teens that are part of our youth group that serve in Pathway Kids in a given month. All right, they're, they're engaged. They're, there's action. Everyone has a job. And so many of you have come, come alongside us as a church and, a com- and been a part of our mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. And we need that within Pathway Kids. We need that within youth. If you have a heart to serve, come talk to me. We've got, we've got, we've got holes. We've got places of, of influence in kids' lives or, or maybe admin stuff behind the scenes. Everyone has a job. All right, come talk to us. We're always thinking creatively, okay, wow, this person has this gifting. We could use them, you know, we'll create a role for something that hasn't even been discovered because we have to make sure that 19,000 kids and teens get reached. And, and so, you know, everyone has a job. And, and if, if your gifting is something outside of um, Pathway Church, whether it's like volunteering with Youth Unlimited or whether it's um, just... Getting to know families down your street. Everyone has a job. This is not about Pathway Church and our numbers or something like that. This is about reaching a city, about sharing the reckless love of God with our city. And um, if, this is, if this is just kind of hitting you in a new way, I hope that that feeling, that, that, that stirring in your heart forces you to do something about it. I'm okay with that uncomfortableness. Because I have it. So many of the people of our church have it. And that's why, you know, at, at 6.30 this morning, there's, you know, even though you had to set up your own chair, there's so many of us setting up this space because we want us to all encounter God. It's, it's why on a Friday night, there's, you know, at least a dozen young adults and other, other adult leaders that show up for three hours weekly for multiple years plus connecting with teens midweek because they care. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Everyone has a job. And I just want you to think about what's, what's your place? What can you give? Maybe, and let's just think outside the box. Maybe you're a business. I had a business come to me um, and it said, hey, Andrew, we've got this. Would it be of use to you? And it was amazing. It, it helped us send 10 kids, 10 kids, uh, 10 teens on a mission trip this summer. It allowed us to get there, and it just, it drove that deeper. You know, let's just think outside the box. Let's get creative, because everyone has a job. 
if there were 99 kids and teens in Peterborough sitting around the fire and there was even one on the outside, God would go after that one. The reality is nothing like that. And yet every single kid matters. And I just want to close with this. Because in Matthew 18, Jesus actually tells the exact same story about the 99 and the 1. And it's in the context of being surrounded by, uh, by all sorts of kids. And, he, and he's using them to, to make a point about who he is. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And then before he goes into the story of the 99 and the 1, it's in Matthew 18, verse 10, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then after that story, he closes it off with this, So it is not the will of my Father that anyone should perish. Not one of these little ones should perish. It's all hands on deck. Whatever it takes, everyone has a job because every kid matters. Isn't that true? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.